0: Beyond Governance, Making Sense of Doing Business in South Africa is proudly sponsored by Plus94 Research, the science of
1: decision-making. We've weathered the unexpected. We've stepped into a new world. And now it is time for our businesses to re-emerge. Sure-footed, clear-headed and strategically on point. It is a time for greater certainty, for accurate, actionable market research and business intelligence to make effective, up-to-date decisions. South Africa, that is how we move our businesses and economy forward. Plus 94 Research, the science of decision-making.
2: A very good morning to you and welcome. To this week's instalment of Beyond Governance here at one o one point nine FM. My name is Nimrod Upambele. As always, I'm delighted to share this space and time with you as we continue to bring you insights and observations from our esteemed guests, who have a vast wealth of experience with solid observations to offer. We know that governance is a very, at a macro level, it's very complex because of a plethora of uh, acts, of parliament, regulations, policies, and procedures and codes. This is what makes it very complex. We all know that, you know, these rules are actually meant to protect the interests of the shareholders, investors and stakeholders. Uh, what makes governments even more complex is the fact that, is the, is the fact that there's an animal called self-interest. We all know that in the absence, most people who, who enter into transactions, they push their particular agenda. And in absence of ethical conduct, that's where we hear and read more about corruption, maladministration, you name it. That's the gist of the complexity and the need for us to have the rules of engagements that needs to be followed through and through. Anyway, as always, I'm not fine, so I'm flanked by two competent uh, producers, Busama Singa and Harris Leke. Gentlemen, thank you very much. I'm grateful for your support, uh, for your make, uh, you make, for you make your contribution, uh, in the most positive way. I've been thinking about as South Africans, we're celebrating the, you know, the nail-biting victories over England on Saturday, whilst at the same time we're anticipating yet another epic performance uh, between South Africa and New Zealand. In the same vein, we should not lose sight of what is happening in Ukraine and the Middle East. If history has taught us anything, we are seeing acts of barbarism inflicted on ordinary civilians and murder of children. This is completely unacceptable. I mean, the war, with, the war between Hamas and Israel, let alone the war between Ukraine and Russia, and other wars in the in African continents, to me, sound a big alarm around the death of leadership. In my view, all sides needs individuals or countries they must trust trust to broker a long and lasting peace through a series of dialogues that are preceded by principles that are agreed upon. Because ultimately, dialogue, a sense of our dialogues, is the solution. We all know that in any conflict, there has to be a compromise. A zero-sum game benefits no one. Those who are brokering peace should strive to secure a win-win. We know how difficult it is when disputes are underpinned by religion. Or deep uh, self-interest, as was as Nelson Mandela once said, it has always seemed impossible until it's done. So what we're seeing in the Middle East, what we're seeing in Africa, what we're seeing in Ukraine, it seems impossible until something done. And that what needs to be done is to bring men and women who have credibility, whose all parties trust, to broker peace. That was Martuza's worth on the part. we're seeing in the Middle East and and in Europe, let alone in pockets of africa which has been there for decades now in today's conversation we are putting a spotlight on the africa continental free trade Agreement that was launched back in 2018 and began to operate and that was operationalized I suppose, if I'm not mistaken, in 2020. In making sense of this mega-initiative at the African Union, I am joined by Ambassador Sol Molomi, who's also a CEO at Brand Hill Africa. Uh, Sol is closer to the processes, therefore, his this conversation uh, it will be quite exciting. Without a waste of time, let me say thank you and welcome to Beyond Governance, uh, Sol.
3: Good morning, Dr. Mbele, and good morning to High FM listeners.
2: Good morning, indeed. Rosal, before I actually get into our exciting conversation, you know, I sort of want to quickly reflect on what we observe. I'm sure you also have observed that the South African Reserve Bank, we've heard through multiple news bulletins that uh, South African Reserve Bank Deputy Governor Kuba Naidu has handed in his resignation to the president. And, and since the dawn of democracy, I don't recall of seeing any deputations. And, and this for me, uh, it, it makes a very interesting case about the institution not to be independent uh, from political if, interference. You know, the irony as I look at it from a layman's I or V, if you like, uh, the, the irony is that South African, you know, South Africa as a whole, in fact, majority if not all institutions are politicized. Um, and the permeation of uh, politicization, politicization of administration, in my view, has warranted uh, what the president uh, called professionalization of public administration, which is one of the key imperatives for building state capacity. I mean, of course, it is common cause that Reserve Bank operates in a highly politicized environment. Therefore, I would imagine that a political interference could be one of the reasons that led to kubanaidu to resign anyway that's my two sets of words i'm not sure what prasol think about that resignation if it means anything prasol before getting to our conversation your take on resignation at the south African reserve bank by kubanaidu
3: thank you dr mbele Uh, i think um our starting point should be that the South African Reserve Bank is independent and listeners will, will know that the ruling party and a number of opposition parties, uh, including the economic freedom fighters have been calling for the nationalization of the central bank. So this is our starting point. But in the case of, of this, what you call resignation actually it isn't resignation he has indicated that he is not going to renew his contract when it expires and and this has happened before uh if we remember daniel minelle Also opted for his contract to be renewed. And later on, we got to know that after he served his cooling off period, he then joined APSA as as a group CEO. So my take is that even in this instance, um, after his cooling of Pirot, we may hear him saying that he is joining one of our commercial banks. Who knows? Maybe we may even hear that he's joining uh the new Briggs Bank. Uh, I'm just speculating. But <laughs> basically, there could be something nicer uh, or greener uh, pasture. Uh, awaiting him, uh, yeah. the expiry of his contract.
0: Beyond governance, making sense of doing business in South Africa is proudly sponsored by Plus 94 Research, the science of decision
1: making. We've weathered the unexpected. We've stepped into a new world. And now it is the time for our businesses to re-emerge. Sure-footed, clear-headed and strategically on point. It is a time for greater certainty, for accurate, actionable market research and business intelligence to make effective, up-to-date decisions. South Africa, that is how we move our businesses and economy forward. Plus 94 Research, the science
2: of decision-making. Russell, so just put the listener into perspective, we know that the African Union has launched um, the Africa, Africa Continental Free Trade Agreement, uh, which is perceived to be a landmark initiative which promised a combined gross domestic product of about uh, $3.5 trillion. And since it has been um, launched back in 2018, we haven't really had much conversation about the kinds of developments that are taking place. And and perhaps maybe the, the first question to you as a person is closer to the process is, since 2020, what has been the the update that the listener need to be thinking about? They say, well, so this is something that is happening. While you're pondering that question, I also want you to, to locate it in the context of BRICS, because we are part of BRICS, this huge uh, initiative called African Union Continental Free Trade Agreement. Your thoughts on those issues?
3: We should be celebrating the developments that have already taken place since the the operationalization of the Africa Continental Free Trade Agreement started on 1 January uh, 2021. And listeners may remember that actually um, the operationalization date was initially set at 4 July 2020, but due to the impact of the anti-covid 19 lockdowns um the operationalization date was then rescheduled to 1 january 2021 but uh july 4 remains uh being integrated excuse me uh july 7 remains being celebrated as african integration day now since then especially if we look at um the kinds of um, ratifications and resolutions that were adopted at the, the African Union Heads of State and Government Assembly on the 19th of February this year, then I would say we have made so much progress. In this instance, if I was to take you back since 2021, the Secretariat of the Africa Continental Free Trade Area in partnership with the Africa Export-Import Bank, which is headquartered in Cairo, have launched what we call the Pan-African Payment and Settlement System, uh, PAPS. This is very key to boosting intra-African trade in the sense that if you order any product from Nigeria or any other African country, you are transacting through the medium of your local um, currencies, for instance, if I order from Nigeria, uh, my transaction will be in rent and and simply because the Pan-African Payment and Settlement System enables that, and which means then that um, our transaction costs will come drastically down because we were we are no longer transacting through the medium of the US dollar. And according to, to the World Bank, the Pan-African payment and settlement system is saving the continent over 5 billion US dollars uh, per year in transaction fees. So this is a milestone that is worth uh, celebrating. The, the other one is that um, um, last year, then the, the Secretariat launched what we call the Guided Trade Initiative. Um, what they did was that they took eight African countries to operationalize the African Continental Free Trade Agreement in full. And perhaps I need to say, what do we mean by implementing it in full? Uh, what does it entail? Listeners will remember that this agreement, six to remove trade tariffs on up to ninety percent of the products and services produced in in africa and if we look at the february nineteen feedback and and which was subsequently adopted by the eu heads of state and, and government assembly we are now sitting on eighty against the 90% target, which means we are doing very, very well in, in this two, we have done very well in these two years. And the remainder, uh, of 1.7 relates to issues around the automotive sector and also the clothing and textile. With the automotive sector right now, the negotiators are busy trying to determine the localization percentage that should be agreed to. For instance, South Africa is assembling all these vehicles uh, from all over the world. We are only assembling them. And because we are only assembling them and there is no local content into it except job creation, then the question is, they can qualify to be as made-in-Africa in, in, in Africa products. So for that reason, then, they are now discussing uh, what localization percentage should we input into the production of, of these vehicles so that they can qualify. And it's not only South Africa. Kenya is doing the same thing. Nigeria is doing the same thing. And Rwanda has also entered the automotive sector. Now the question oh. is how much percentage for a product to qualify as a made in africa product thank you
2: very much for that uh, Saul. So, um i, I think you have raised a number of pertinent points which i want us to go back to as soon as we come back from
0: this short break beyond governance making sense of doing business in south africa is proudly sponsored by plus 94 research the
1: science of decision making with weathered the unexpected We've stepped into a new world. And now it is a time for our businesses to re-emerge. Sure-footed, clear-headed, and strategically on point, it is a time for greater certainty, for accurate, actionable market research and business intelligence to make effective, up-to-date decisions. South Africa, that is how we move our businesses and economy forward. Plus 94 Research, the science of decision-making.
2: Thank you very much and welcome back to Beyond Governance. My name is Nimrod I am joined by Ambassador Sol lobby and we are unpacking the African Continental Free Trade Agreement, which was launched back in 2018 and its operationalization started in 2021. Before we took that break, Sol gave us quite interesting developments in that particular opera, in that particular sector. One of the issues that he has uh, raised is that the uh, Secretariat has launched a partnership with the bank, which led to the payment of Payment and settlement system, which which is quite key in boosting trade, and he's given us a sense that that particular medium of transacting uh, has quite made a huge dent in terms of five billion rands that you know all sort of all continent players. Are likely to say because they are transacting uh, in their own uh, currencies, currencies, which is quite useful. The other issue that he raised with us is that the secretariat has launched trade initiatives with sampled, if you like, eight African countries. Uh, I want us to get there. So, which are these eight African countries that were sampled or um, elected to operationalize the uh, Africa Continental Free Trade Agreement?
3: Yeah, I love the principle in the sense that they then two countries which are highly developed within the African context, and they look at developing ones, and then they looked at the least developing ones. Uh, in terms of the, the least developed ones, they call them the bottom five. We have Ethiopia, we have Zambia, we have Djibouti, we have mozambique and we have zimbabwe these are the countries whose manufacturing sector is highly highly under underdeveloped now from this group then they they, they took uh zambia and then from the most developed they took um uh, nigeria which is the the biggest uh economy on the continent and from the east then uh, they took um kenya and then they also took uh, from Central Africa. They took the Central African Republic, and they brought in Senegal and, and 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 four others. But basically, they looked at one the linguistic mix. As we know, we have Arab Africa, we have uh, Francophone Africa, we have Lusophone Africa, and in the in the case of Lusophone Africa, they brought in Mo- Mozambique, and then from there. They, they have SADC and in terms of SADC, Anglophone uh, Africa, then they, they, they brought in Zambia. So this is how they, they, they tried to balance the configuration uh, across mm. the whole the whole continent. And from the north they brought in Egypt.
2: That's quite useful to know that um, there was a, a good sense of balance in terms of sampling or personally piloting the the operationalization of the of the trade agreement. One of the issues that you raised which I want us to get our thoughts around is the fact that there obviously there are different economic sectors or economic hub for like. Um, The automotive being probably one of the biggest and you've given us a sense that in the automotive sector, uh, there are a number of countries that are involved. You mentioned Kenya, you mentioned South Africa as part of it and so on and so forth. The question is, because... In the continent, the automotive sector is predominantly an assembling line, not so much about manufacturing. Parts are imported elsewhere, but only uh, assembled. Therefore, according to the rules of engagement, they, these are the fact that South Africa, as an example, assemble, assemble automotive or different parts. Uh, the product cannot be classified as made in Africa. So, so take us through that particular scenario. What are the hurdles in terms of creating cost? That's, this is one of the biggest cost drivers. I would imagine if Germany, uh, is manufacturing, China's manufactured for them to relinquish those, uh, position. It also, though those have huge economic impact on them. And surrendering that to the continent for the continent to begin to manufacture those items for this trade to qualify labeling those cars as made in Africa. What what take us through that please?
3: In terms of um, these our uh, OEMs I- increasing local content uh it should be very easy i'll give you an example we have a south africa one of the biggest reserves of the platinum group metals and so and the catalytic converters uh, are made from platinum so which means then that um these OEMs can send specifications to south africa for the production of catalytic converters because anyway uh, they they get this platinum from us and from there once they manufacture this catalytic converters in South Africa and those are then um, installed in their in their vehicles that will push their local content percentage up so the car will still remain Uh, a a made in Germany or a made in China or or a made in France or Italy or or U.S. But at the same time, then when we look at the amount of local content that went into the manufacturing of that vehicle, then that vehicle will then qualify as made in Africa. And it is for their own benefit because, remember, once you qualify as a made in Africa, Uh, Service or product, then you are no longer attracting uh, import duties when you export from South Africa to any other African country. So it is in their best interest. And as a result, that will even help to bring the cost down because then it will impact directly on their pricing strategy. Right now, if you import to any country, you attract import duties which means then you have to factor in that price um sorry the, the import duties into into your price, and as a result you are not price competitive
2: no thank you very much for that um um uh, clarity because uh these things are obviously quite complex they're not as easy as that, but perhaps maybe in in the continent because the continent is rich in minerals of which goes into or as part of the production line um so you you're saying. You know, uh either Germany, U.S., China could send uh, the specifications which require um, commodities such as platinum for them to be produced. Uh, I like what you're saying. In that the amount of content in a vehicle will determine whether that 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 qualify as made in Africa. So I see this as a process, not not as a as as an event, because it's going to take time for all different parts um, of these commodities being produced um, in in the country. Is is that a fair assessment?
3: Indeed, and and i'll tell you why uh, if you look at all these global powers their appetite for for influence uh over africa uh, is so high that that should tell you that they are indeed interested in 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 making the necessary interventions for them to be able to to, to access the, the African market. And that's why we say, and they admitted to that Africa is the world's, um, um last fr- economic frontier. So everybody is interested in us. Remember, we are 55 countries, uh, who are EU member states. And you are looking at a market uh, constituted by 1.4 billion consumers. In fact, uh, this is a very huge market that everyone will be interested in. And for that reason, that's why they are so um, positive about the co- continental integration project. But also, they are also comfortable that um, at continental level, we are able to to. To establish a continental investor-friendly regime, uh, which every EU member state has to to subscribe to. So as a result, um, they will know that the same principles they they are forced to adhere to in South Africa will prevail across the continent as a whole, irrespective of. Uh, which, which administration is in power?
2: Thank you very much for that insight, Prasol. Um, uh, one of the issues that I've raised, personally, we haven't really gotten to address it, uh, but let let me give you, let me get us your sense after the break. Um, the issue that, you know, I wanted to ponder on is the relationship between the Intercontinental Free Trade Agreement and BRICS, particularly around some of the institutions of BRICS that potentially have a bigger role to play in facilitating infrastructure development.
0: Um, Let's take a break, and and we'll hear your thoughts after the break. Beyond Governance, making sense of doing business in South Africa is proudly sponsored by Plus94 Research, the science of decision-making. We've
1: weathered the unexpected. We've stepped into a new world. And now it is the time for our businesses to re-emerge. Sure-footed, clear-headed, and strategically on point, it is a time for greater certainty, for accurate, actionable market research and business intelligence, to make effective, up-to-date decisions. In South Africa, that is how we move our businesses and economy forward, plus 94 Research, the science of decision-making.
2: Welcome back. This is Bjorn uh, my name is Nemrut uh, I am in the company of the glorious gentleman by the name of Solomon Obi, um, who is a thought leader uh, in the era of the Africa Continental Free Trade Agreement. You would expect less from a man of this stature, for he has been an ambassador. Uh, Brasol, the issue here is the, the, as I've indicated before we took the short break, the issue is the continent, Continental Free Trade Agreement um and, and breaks, because obviously the, the, there's, there's collaboration, there's competition. And one of the biggest, one of the biggest developmental drives that would reduce the, the trade, I mean, the last time I checked the, uh, uh, the, the African continental trade, trade agreement hopes to double the trade, which is currently kind of sitting at 16%, um infrastructure, can propel that to probably 30-40% uh, of trade among the, of, among the African countries. What is the role of BRICS in facilitating uh, some of this mega project? Um, can we then say the, one of the big institutions which competes with IMF and World Bank, that being the BRICS, uh, well, that, that is the BRICS Bank, on, on in, in terms of supporting this mega infrastructure? Where are we, or what's your take on it?
3: In fact, let's go back to 2001, uh, when Jim O'Neill, um, at Goldman Sachs coined the acronym BRIC, uh, referring to Brazil, uh, Russia, India, and China. And he said these were the fastest growing economies and they were going to impact on the global. Uh, Order, And then later on, these four countries then got together and to establish this structured mechanism. And in 2010, when they decided to invite South Africa, and everybody, uh, especially commentators, said that South Africa didn't deserve to be invited because it was a very small economy. But this was very strategic on their part because they knew that South Africa will be their gateway into the rest of the continent, and South Africa then was the biggest economy on the continent. Even though later on, uh, after its debasing uh, of the economy, Nigeria overtook it after they factored in the contribution of of the the ICT sector, and also retail. Then it overtook South Africa as the biggest economy on the continent. Then later on, we know Egypt, uh, some two years ago, Egypt also overtook South Africa to become the second biggest economy of the continent. But South Africa remained the most sophisticated economy on the continent. And for that reason, that's why it was invited but we should remember that um, South Africa has always said when they join this um, multilateral fora, they or even minilateral fora, they go in there um representing the continent. They will never leave the continent behind. Even when you look at twenty ten during the World Cup, they said it's it's hosted by South Africa on behalf of of the continent, and that's why then they invited even African countries, uh, to, to, to participate, um, in, 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 those, in those, uh, uh, matches that they, they hosted here at home. Now, when they were hosting the BRICS Summit, again, South Africa said, it's, 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 it's South Africa, it's BRICS and Africa. Many, they just didn't say it's BRICS and South Africa. They said BRICS and African. That was their theme. And basically then they then invited a number of heads of states and government from the African continent who participated in, in, in BRICS. And this is very key because then if you look at BRICS itself, um, they their combined share of GDP, uh, it is at percent, one percent, which is one percent more than the combined GDP of of, of the the, the G seven, and their combined population is forty six percent or or of global share of the of the world population. Their oil production, especially after adding in uh, these new members, um. Uh, the oil production, the global share of, of the world's oil oil production is 43%. And the exports of goods is, is 25% of, of, of the global share. So this is very important. And for them, then it means if they have South Africa by extension, then they have the, 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 the entire continent. Now you should also remember, Uh, All along, the biggest uh, infrastructure funder, especially in SADC, all along was the Development Bank of Southern Africa. And continentally, we know uh, there is the African Development Bank, which has been financing infrastructure development. But to a large extent, the Development Bank of South Africa has been playing this role. Now, the the BRICS member states have, have established the the new development bank uh which is going to be an extension of what the development bank of South, southern africa and the african development bank have been doing and the reality is that um our 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 economies as a continent uh, to a large extent uh, uh will be boosted by investments into infrastructure and intra african trade uh, will only grow if we develop infrastructure across the continent. And in this instance, we are looking at both rail and road infrastructure. We are looking at um, air cargo. We are looking at the vessels. Basically, we we need to interconnect Africa for intra-African trade to to thrive. As you know, uh, the African Union. um uh, in, in, in the NEPAD uh, funding document, spoke about developing um, a Cape to to Algiers route, and later on, the, the the Algerian government then developed the Algiers to Cairo route, and now the African Union is now looking at Cape to Cairo, and South Africa has been um, appointed as a project manager of this project because once you have interconnectivity in uh, in terms of logistics between African countries, then trade will be much easier. I'll give you an example. Right now, if you want to export your product into Niger from South Africa, you put it in air cargo, it flies to, to, Mm -hmm. to Paris, from Paris back into the continent in Niger. By the time it lands in Niger, the study has shown that um, its, its cost of sales has increased by over 46%. So for that reason, you may not be able to compete with products from Europe that went directly into Niger. So this is important, uh, the issue of developing uh, rail and road infrastructure so that um, there's interconnectivity amongst African countries.
2: No, I think that's a very fair observation that you made in a nutshell you were saying to us um you know the Brits uh and Africa is not seen as 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 an isolated um um Posture, if you like, it has to be looked in the context of the free uh, free trade agreement, which, which was obviously launched earlier. I mean, the, the institutions such as the South African Development Bank and the New Bank, which in your view um, was an was an extension or is an extension of the South African Development Bank, would would be used as a catalyst. Uh, for uh, road infrastructure as well as as cargo, for you know, in order to reduce the tariffs. But having said that, these are obviously long term project, and these won't obviously be, be be implemented like yesterday. You still have to do with the internal dynamics of how to operationalize the free trade agreement. Obviously, we we have considered that countries have ratified. Now it has been translated into into policies and programs the eight countries that you mentioned earlier is this now where countries have begun to translate this big initiative into policy regulations that would that would uh, be easily implemented Uh, because i don't see the two as as separate you have to obviously embrace the macro side of things which you have which which countries have endorsed or 55 or 54. I'm not sure where the, where Atria is. The last time we spoke, Atria was, had not ratified. But be that as it may, let's look at translating this policy regime into practical program that each state can begin to implement.
3: Yes. In fact, we have 46 African countries that have ratified the African Continental Free Trade Agreement and then meaning that they they have even submitted their instruments or modalities for for the operationalization of the agreement in their own countries. We have nine which have signed it and they are in the process of developing uh, their modalities for operationalization and like you indicated um like every family has one, our our one in the family is Eritrea, which still has to sign and to ratify uh, the agreement. But again, if you look at um, uh, how small its economy is, uh, this may not impact negatively on the continental integration uh, pro- process. Remember the not the. The, the 90% target for removal of, of tariffs on, up, uh, on, on, on products was phase one of the negotiations. The second phase, which is almost complete, based on developing a continental protocol on, on competition, because yes we, we will be a common market, but still even if we are a common market we will still commit, compete amongst ourselves. so the Secretariat has succeeded in developing competition protocol. Basically, it gives rules of engagement to say, yes, you will still compete, but how do you compete uh, uh, equitably? And what they also did, which is very important, the Secretariat for the Africa Continental Free Trade Area, and African Export-Import Bank went further to establish what we call the AFCFTA Adjustment Fund, and they put $1 billion US dollars in it. This fund is intended to lessen the impact of competition on smaller economies from big players like Nigeria, South Africa, and Egypt. So they will be compensating them in a way for complying uh, with the prescripts of the agreement. And then they've also developed a continental protocol on on intellectual property. As we know, even here at home, copyright issues are now being uh, and government. In fact, the, the 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 amendments to our copyright act have been uh yo yoing between between the Presidency and the National Assembly and the House of of, 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 of our traditional um leaders and and in the sense that um they couldn't finalise them until the Continental um protocol on competition or oh, sorry on intellectual property was finalised. And this has been done and it was adopted by the EU heads of state and assembly on the, on the 19th of February this year, which means very soon our, our copyright amendments to our copyright should be signed into law by the, by the president once the necessary changes have been made. And another important continental protocol, um, which has been adopted by the EU is on investment. Um, uh, Remember previously, each African country used to sign a bilateral investment promotion and protection agreement with countries from all over the world. Now they've developed this continental protocol so that all of us should comply uh, with it. If I give you the latest, uh, Kenya went ahead and negotiated a bilateral investment agreement with the U.S. And they did that without consulting the member states of the East African community. And as we know, East African community is the most integrated regional economic community on the continent. They are far ahead of all the other regional economic communities. And then... Other, other member states of the East African community took Kenya to the regional court to say they can negotiate a bilateral investment promotion partnership with the U.S. without consulting them because it, it will impact on them. Because, for instance, it's like us saying to Eswatini, negotiate your own investment, um, bilateral investment promotion agreement with any country. And when that country exports into into Eswatini, that has an impact on our economies because goods which are imported into South Africa from Eswatini do not attract any, any import duties or export import duties into South Africa. So for that reason, it means we will be disadvantaged. So the secretariat has succeeded in, in, in negotiating this. There are only two outstanding issues. One is on e-commerce. And as we know, uh, the outbreak of COVID-19 catapulted us into, into adopting digital communications, especially e-commerce. And we also know that e-commerce is a very tricky area because it also led to the emergence of cybercrime so they are now developing a mechanism uh, which will lead to to a protocol on e-commerce the last one which is outstanding is how women and youth will benefit from Opportunities accruing from from the Africa Continental Free Trade Agreement. So these are all worth uh, celebrating because remember previously we said we have done well as a continent in the sense that from 1980, when the Abuja Treaty, which led to the structured mechanism to to launch the Africa Continental Free Trade agreement up until its operationalization in in 2021 means we took 40 years to establish ourselves into a common market it's worth celebrating because if you look at europe it took 72 years to establish the european union into what it is today so we have done very very well
2: yes it seems like we've done very well indeed uh, let's take a
0: break as we gravitate to watch the end of the show. We'll be back in a second. Beyond Governance, making sense of doing business in South Africa is proudly sponsored by Plus 94 Research, the science of decision-making.
1: We've weathered the unexpected. We've stepped into a new world. And now it is the time for our businesses to re-emerge. Sure-footed, clear-headed and strategically on point. It is a time for greater certainty, for accurate, actionable market research and business intelligence to make effective, up-to-date decisions. In South Africa, that is how we move our businesses and economy forward. Plus 94 Research, the science of decision-making.
2: Welcome back. Uh, this is Neem You're listening to Beyond Governance. I'm in the company of Son Morobi, uh, who is the uh, brain power if you like, on issues relating to inter-free, in, continental free trade agreement. Before we took that break, he had given us some of the practical actions that have been taken in trying to operationalize the free trade agreement. One of the issues that you raised was the, the continental protocols in relation to uh, copyright, intellectual property, uh, also in relation to investment, and he also made, a, a you know, a protocol around the establishment of adjustment funds, wherein about a billion rand has been set aside to aid countries that are less competitive, uh, because Africa obviously is quite diverse, so that we've got developed, least developed, and pretty much uh, emerging economies, if you like. And the other issue that he raised was the fact two outstanding issues, which um, are yet to be concluded by the Secretariat. One is the e-commerce. Given the, its complexity and the infrastructure requirements, particularly, you know, building the firewalls around cybercrime. Uh, the other one was women and youth, uh, the protocol is yet to, to articulate how these marginalized, um, you know, groups can benefit from the trade. Um, Brussels, I mean, these obviously seem, these seems to be a quite positive development in terms of moving away from the macro sort of things to more practical and tangible. It's quite pleasing to hear. But again, obviously, the devil lies in the detail. Hence, some of these issues, uh, you know, they, they take a bit longer. One of the biggest ones I would imagine is the intellectual property, the protocol on intellectual property. And we know some countries have not, have not well, they are who they are today purely because uh, of intellectual property. That is guarded because this is the currency um what you see as a biggest stumbling block particularly when you like when you take the designs because they, 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 there are a lot of design african designs that has been um what's the word i'm looking for siphoned off without compensation and of it's not they belong to to the europe um, i would imagine the international property would have to look at what are the indigenous Properties in the in in the in the area of medicine, in the area of um, technology, uh, and so on and so forth, which which firstly have to be protected, but also how other entities that have obviously copyrighted our own material, do we have access to those? To what extent do you think an uh, elephant in the room? can be addressed through the intellectual property, which is also a very complex space. Uh, it requires specialists to understand the rules of engagement. I suppose when you're establishing the, the, the protocol, does not mean that's it, because each and every country now needs to develop its own intellectual property, bring in those uh, lawyers who, and lawyers of the uh, that have a good understanding of intellectual property laws. Your take on that?
3: Previously, countries that dish out uh, aid to African countries um, used to to abuse that in the sense that they will say we are dishing out foreign aid to you, um, therefore you have to give us something in return. And because there was no continental framework around intellectual property, and each. AU member state was individually a member of the World uh, Intellectual Property Organization. And also each AU member state was individually a member of the World Trade Organization. So there was no common positions uh, developed or on these issues across the continent. Now that we, we have this uh, uh, continental common position, then... This strengthens our 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 voice when we negotiate um, issues at the World uh, Intellectual Property Organization and the World Trade Organization. Uh, for instance, let me give you an example we, with with uh, Raybos. For 14 years, South Africa was fighting an American company that has registered Raybos uh, as their uh, trademark. In the U.S. So, meaning, if we were to, if we tried to export Weibos into the U.S., we had to, in a package branded as Weibos, we had to pay, uh, royalties to this, to this, uh, company. And we, we went to court and it took us 14 years. Ultimately, it was ruled in our favor and, and, and that company had to deregister rebos as their are uh, as their trademark. And we were involved in the same battle with a French company. But fortunately after we went to the World Trade Organization to raise these issues, then the European Union took the matter up and um in twenty twenty one we saw sorry, last year in March we saw the European Union giving uh, geographic designation uh, um, uh, of, of rooibos to South Africa, which means no person from all over the world could register rooibos as their trademark. Anyway, the flip side of it is that um, listeners will, will will remember that before 1994, when we rejoined the World Trade Organization, Uh, we had our distilleries in South Africa producing what they used to call a champagne. And after we, we joined, um, we rejoined the World Trade Organization in terms of rules of origin, we were then to, to rebrand our, what we used to call champagnes into sparkling, sparkling wines. Because only a product produced in French, uh, in the French town of Champagne can only name their, those products as Champagne. So basically, but then this experience, we then, uh, share it with all, uh, continents, um, sorry, in all countries within the continent. And this is the input we made during the negotiations. Of the world, um, uh, or of the continental protocol or, or on IP that African countries also need to, to, to have this uh, experience. Uh, remember even last year, uh, the, the, the Warner Brothers in the U.S., this one of the world's biggest, uh, film studios wanted to register Hakuna Matata. Uh, as their trademark. And Haguna Matata is a a a, a commonly used um, Swahili uh, phrase, which means there are no problems. And simply because they used it in their production of the Lion King, they then wanted to deny everyone else to use this phrase which is commonly used across the continent. And we saw the continent responding to that to say there's no way that they can, uh, register Hakuna Matata, uh, as their trademark because that is, is, is a common phrase used across the entire continent. And musicians have um, also enough. composed songs around it.
2: Absolutely. Unfortunately, Professor, we're going to have to leave it here. It has been absolutely beautiful. We have run out of time. Um, but what I do take from your your insights and observation is that the inter in the, the 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 continental free trade agreement has gone beyond just this huge initiative at the macro level. There are practical steps that have been taken to actually actualize some of these issues, and and you have mentioned a number of protocols which which have obviously do suggest. The extent to which individual countries, um, are beginning to operationalize the integrated, uh, uh plan, if you like, around tr- uh, free trade agreements. And yeah, unfortunately, here. thank you very much for coming through. It is always, it's always a pleasure to have you.
3: Thank you very much, uh, doctor, for, for, for having me
2: most welcome. That was Saul Mulobi, um, Ambassador Sol Mulobi, and who's also the executive at uh, Brand Bren Hill Africa, giving us a blow by blow in terms of very complex and multi-world of the continental free trade agreement, which which seeks to promote uh, you know trade among African countries. We all know that we're sitting at sixteen percent, and the idea is to Promote this thing to a point where, in um, you know, countries, African countries, compete or, or trade amongst each other, uh, and this will obviously be better in terms of putting the country or the continent uh, uh, in the map globally. Let's leave it here. Let's do it again next week. Shut